If we could do this, I want to keep us here. I don't want to break what the Lord's doing. And so if you're a child care worker or you have kids that need to go upstairs, just slip out and do that quickly. And uh, the rest of you, uh, open up your Bibles to Romans 8. And I just want to spend another moment in prayer. Romans chapter 8. Lord, I just I want to ask that you would continue to work in our hearts right now. You've just been overwhelming me this morning. Lord, I want that for everyone in here. Would you teach us? Teach us through your word. Teach us through the words that I speak, Lord. We want to be transformed by you. In Jesus' name. Eleven years ago, I was really brand new in living a life of surrender and obedience to Christ. For years, I had a lot of knowledge about the Bible. I believed in the gospel. I knew it all front to back, or so I thought. But I was living a life of immense pride and duplicity. Some people knew one side of me. Other people knew another side of me. And nobody knew how prideful I was. Some people would say it's because I'm a Gemini, but I renounce that. Um, the reality is, the reality is it's because I'm a sinner and I was enslaved to my own flesh. But then the Lord pulled me out of that. There's no other way to say it. He saved me from that. And that's my testimony. I didn't know anything about hearing God's voice or listening to the Lord. I didn't know that. But I had this strong sense from the Lord that he was saying to me in this one particular moment that I can remember sitting on a green chair in my dorm room in Florida. He said, do you really believe what you say you believe? And if you do, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? That was the moment that changed the course of my life. That was the first time I experienced true surrender and all the things that I wanted, I no longer wanted. The very things that I never wanted, that God was calling me to, specifically, global missions and pastoral ministry in Philadelphia. Those were the things that God rushed in and put before me. And those two things became the only things I wanted to do. Literally, the only things. It was consuming me. And so shortly after that, I was baptized in November of 2010, and I quickly signed up for a worship conference and a missions trip. I just, I wanted to obey the Lord, so I did whatever I could think of. And so I headed down to Atlanta for this conference, and side note, it was on my way to that conference that I stopped and I asked Caitlin to be my girlfriend. Um, so just a side note about us. Um, but it was at that conference that I learned about this organization called International Justice Mission. And I walked through this display. They had this beautiful display set up where you could learn about their work. And I walked through it completely unaware, totally naive. 
And I came out the other side completely overwhelmed when I learned about modern day slavery. I was wrecked. One of every 200 people in the world right now is a slave, a physical slave. Just to put that in comparison, during the entire transatlantic slave trade from 1600 to 19, or 18, mid-1800s, there were 13 million people slaved, enslaved. But today, there's over 40 million people who are physically enslaved right now. Forced labor, sex trafficking, child soldiers, the list goes on. Over 40 million people right now. And I walked through that display just like, what can I do about this? The Lord broke my heart. He had just rescued me from my own version of slavery to my old self. And now I was suddenly concerned with others who were enslaved. I wanted them to be free. I want you guys to feel that. I want your hearts to break with what breaks our Lord's heart. But here's another reality. There's 40 million people physically being forced to do things they don't want to do. I don't say this to minimize the horrors of physical slavery, but there are other types of slavery too. Psychological slavery, other types of slavery. And there's millions and millions of more people who are enslaved if you add them. Addictions, domestic abuse, demonic cults, false religions, gangs, all of it. People are enslaved to these things. Some of them don't even know it, but they're enslaved. And these are the realities that surround us every day. All of these types of slavery are happening in Philadelphia right now, every day. We're rubbing shoulders with slaves every day. The enemy is having a heyday all around us. He's having a heyday right now. But let me take another step further. Remember last week, Dan talked about the interaction between Adam and Eve in the garden with the serpent. Do you remember how he described that interaction? He used the word being mastered by the enemy. Adam and Eve became mastered, enslaved by the enemy of God. It was the very entrance of sin into the world as we read about it in Genesis 3, where our representative human father broke God's perfect covenant with him and was mastered and enslaved to the enemy. And as his human children were born into that, there was a lie that led to unbelief, which led to disobedience resulting in slavery. This was a perfectly free man who was created to be fruitful now enslaved. And so the effect on us is that every one of us on the deepest level of our being, when we're born into this world, our very soul, every single person is born as a slave to sin and to Satan. And that slavery has eternal impact unlike any other type of slavery. But Jesus came. Amen? Jesus came. In Luke 4.18, it says this. I think I have the words on the screen. Yes. Jesus stands up 
in a worship service in the synagogue, just like this. And he quotes Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to set free those who are oppressed. He came to set free. Remember from Revelation chapter 1, Jesus said, I am the one who died and am now alive. Because of his death and resurrection, he holds the keys to death and hell. That means that if you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins by faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for you, then he has literally fought your former master to the death and lost. But then he rose again in victory to rip those keys from the devil's hand to unlock your prison cell. But there's countless Christians, countless people going to church right now, sitting in seats like this, singing songs like we just sang, who have had their cell door opened and they're sitting in the cell. They come into church, yet they walk in darkness. And there's countless others who've had the prison door unlocked and they step out and then things get hard and they think about that bunk they slept on for so many years and so they go back in because it's comfortable. It's shaped to their body, right? It fits them, they feel like. So they go back in the prison cell. Christians who have experienced freedom, yet they run back to the flesh. And then outside the church, there are countless others who have never even come to Christ to have their prison unlocked. Some, many, who have never even heard of their Savior. Jesus came to set them free. He came to set you free, and he came to set them free. So I'm going to ask you the same question the Lord asked me 11 years ago. If you believe this, what are you going to do about it? I want to read through Romans 8, verses 14 to 17. He says, All those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of God. As I was studying for this this week, I spent time thinking about how it could be that so many people could be enslaved for so long. How can someone keep another person captive? And so I began to read some things about slavery throughout history. Horrible, horrible, horrible things. And the overwhelming answer, both from scripture and from history, is that fear keeps people enslaved. The violence and the coercion that it requires to take a person captive creates fear within them. 
And then there's, if there's any attempt to escape that slavery, there is further punishment, which means further fear. Slavery results in fear. So then I began contemplating the idea of fear throughout the Bible. Like, what even is it? What does the Bible say about it? You guys might know the Bible says a lot about fear. You may have heard before that the phrase, do not fear, is actually one of the most repeated imperatives in Scripture. But at the same time, there's a lot of verses that say, fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is good. So which is it? Should we fear or should we not fear? What does the Bible tell us about fear? You know, the secular view of fear, and I've sat through trainings about this, and I've heard all the theories and all the research, the secular view is that fear just evolved as an instinct to our primitive species so they wouldn't get eaten by predators. That's the secular view of where fear comes from. But the Bible says something different. Adam was created without fear. Humans were not intended to be fearful. There was simply nothing to be afraid of when Adam and Eve were in the garden in God's presence. But then Genesis 3.10 introduces fear. They had just broken God's law. They had just given their authority to Satan in slavery. And the Lord comes to meet with them. And what does Adam do? You guys know the story. What does he do? Anybody? Shout it out. What did Adam do when the Lord came? He hid. And the Lord says, why are you hiding? And Adam says, well, I heard you coming and I was afraid because I was naked. Sin against God instantly instituted slavery, which produced fear. And that's where it came from. What was Adam afraid of? Does anyone know? What was Adam afraid of? I'll tell you, he was gripped with fear because the reality suddenly dawned on him that he was now exposed and condemned before God. He was guilty, and that meant he was now subject to punishment. That was the birth of fear and the birth of slavery in the world, and ever since then, Satan has been using fear as a tool, as a weapon, to perpetuate slavery over and over again and again. Genesis 3 is not just a Sunday school tale. It's the condition that every single one of us faces. Sin, slavery, fear. Sin, slavery, fear. I'm thankful, though, that God redeems bad things and can use them for good things, right? Even fear, though it initially came as fear of punishment, which was right, Adam should have been afraid of punishment. God redeems that, and so now there's even types of fear that are helpful for us. I want my kids to be afraid of oncoming traffic. I want them to be afraid of bears and sharks and stormy seas. There's certain fears that God has redeemed so they actually protect us from the danger in this world, which came as a result of sin. And the Old Testament idea of fearing the Lord is that very fear that Adam felt that he was condemned 
But the right and redemptive response to it is not to hide. It's to run to God in repentance for forgiveness and grace. That's the redemptive response to fear. But there's so many fears that are attacking us daily, right? You guys listen, are you in it? Do you guys battle fear? Yes. There's fears. All of us battle them. And this is where Satan does his work, and this is what I want to go after today. This is the burden the Lord put in my heart. Satan leverages fear against you with lies. And he uses those lies to stir up fear to keep us enslaved. He uses fear to keep us hiding. Picture Adam hiding in the bushes from God who knows everything, who sees everything. Yet Satan tries to get us to hide rather than turning to God. He accuses you and he reminds you of the guilt within so that you run away from God and stay in your chains. Satan says things like this. Maybe you guys have felt this before. If you confess that sin that you just committed, God's going to punish you because you're guilty. Or maybe he'll say, Jesus is telling you to do what? That's going to hurt you. It's going to cost you. You're going to suffer if you do that. So don't do it. That's stupid. God's trying to hurt you. Here's another one. If you obey Jesus in that specific way, that person is no longer going to approve of you. That person's going to reject you, and they're not going to affirm you. And you need that affirmation. So don't obey Jesus. That's the type of stuff Satan brings to us to stir up fear in our hearts, right? Have you guys felt that? Am I the only one? Have you guys felt that? Yes. All right. But what does Romans 8.1 say? This is what we've been talking about. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian in Christ, fear is entirely a lie because the punishment that you're guilty of has been taken. It's been lifted. Jesus took it. And there's nothing else that we should fear, right? Jesus said, don't fear a man who can only kill your body. You should be fearing the one who can take your soul. The only fear that is true is fear of punishment before the Lord. Yet if you're in Christ, it's gone and there's no condemnation. 1 John 4, 18 says this. I think it's up there, yeah. There is no fear in love. No fear in love. Not just some fear, no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been yet perfected in love. Guys, this is what the Spirit-led life, this whole sermon series, this is what it's all about. God has poured out His love into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 5.5. 5. The perfect love of God is in your heart. It's already perfect. God's love is perfect. Yet we're not. That perfect love is present in you. And as the Spirit does His transforming, sanctifying, purifying work in you, His perfect love casts out fear. That's a reality. As His love is perfected in you, fear is cast out. 
And as you are perfected in his love, you no longer fear. But now look at verse 15. This is what I've been building up to. Look at the text, verse 15. Get your eyes on the Bible. He says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. In Christ, you've been rescued from slavery, right? Condemnation is no more, and you walk in freedom. There is no place for fear. There's no place. You no longer need to walk back into your prison cell because you've been set on the level path of righteousness. That's what Jesus does when he saves us. He puts us on a level path of righteousness. And the love of God himself is in you, working to transform you into the knowledge of his perfect love. He's working in you to expand your heart, to expand your mind, to understand how perfect his love really is. And in the same time, he's transforming you to actually love God too. The spirit-led life is God's method to perfect his love in you. Does that make sense? He's given us the spirit to perfect his love in us. Sin caused slavery, which breeds fear. But in Christ, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now, I want to get super practical for a few minutes. It's really easy to hear these concepts and just let it zoom right over our heads because we've heard it before. You might be tempted to think, I don't really struggle with fear. Well, let me go back to that verse in 1 John 4, and we're going to reverse engineer it. He says, whoever fears has not been perfected in love, which means anyone without fear is perfect in love. Has anyone in here been perfected in love yet? No. When does the Bible say we're going to be perfected? In glory. When we see Jesus face to face. None of us are there. So that tells me that all of us, on some level, will be battling fear. In some measure, in some layers, there's different levels and it's, it's nuanced. But all of us are battling it. Just like sin, fear is something that will be with us until Jesus has his final say and he makes all things right forever. So we know fear is going to be a present reality for all of us in this lifetime. Now some of you may fear a lot. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just answer in your heart. Do you fear a lot? But others of you, honestly, might not really struggle with that many obvious fears. I'm going to be honest with you. For a long time, I would get confused in my mind singing the song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Because in my mind, I'm not really scared of anything, except for bees. So, like, I know I'm not a slave to fear, but like, I'm not really afraid of anything, so I'll sing it, but... But the Lord began teaching me. He began revealing things deep in my heart that I just wasn't aware of. They were there. They were working. I just wasn't aware of it. 
And so now when I sing that song, after the Lord has pointed out these fears deep in my heart, I actually can sing that song as a battle cry. It, it gives me resolve because it's true. I'm no longer a slave to those things. And just to be trans- transparent, to give example, practicals, um, I often fear that others will think I'm disingenuous. I want people to know that I mean what I say and that I mean what I do, and I'm afraid that they think I'm fake. Expressing worship physically for me is hampered by that fear. And I also fear that people are going to think I'm weird or crazy if I talk about Jesus as much as I want to. To be honest with you, I would rather talk about Jesus all the time than anything else. But I feel in conversations that if I go there, people are going to be like, eh, you're trying to push this on me. And so that fear hampers me from areas of discipleship that the Lord is calling me to. And there's many more fears. But do you notice what those fears have in common? They're centered on people, and more importantly, me. And all of those fears hinder obedience to God. Those fears were so deep I was so unaware. The only way the Lord brought it to my attention is when I would feel him calling me to obey him in a, in a certain, like, really particular, nuanced, subjective way. I feel the Lord wants me to do this, and then I don't do it. And then I feel in my heart, like, why did I not do that? Like, I want to please God. I want to do what he's calling me to. Why did I not do that? And that's how he pointed out the fears. This is what you're afraid of. I shared with the guys... The other day, an example, I felt the Lord was calling me to pray for someone, and I didn't do it. And quite honestly, it was because of fear. I was afraid. And so the oak tree of potential in Christ that we've been talking about, the picture of that tree bearing fruit, that's the potential fruit of your obedience to Christ. Simply stated, that's all it is. It's the effect of doing what Jesus calls you to do. That is your potential. Right, But the works of the flesh derail that potential. Those very works of the flesh that you used to walk in all the time, that prison cell that you slept in, those are the things that keep you from obeying. Those are the things that keep you enslaved. And now sometimes, sometimes you stumble into the old ways first. Sometimes you mess up, and then the enemy comes with fear, and he says, don't confess it. You're a failure. You stay there because you don't deserve God. If you confess it, things are going to get worse. And so fear comes as a result of you stumbling into that sin. But other times, there may be other fears that are facing you, and so in an attempt to escape that fear, you turn back to the things of the flesh to find escape. But in both cases, fear is being used by the enemy as a weapon against you to keep you back in the chains of your old self. He's using fear to derail your potential in Christ. Remember, he cannot change your position in Christ, but he can derail your potential. 
Satan knows that he's going to be destroyed by Jesus. Do you guys know that? He knows that. But he also knows that's not going to happen until the, the will of God has been fulfilled in the earth and everybody he's appointed to come to salvation has been saved. And at that point, Satan will be destroyed. So obviously his plan is going to be to derail you from doing the assignment that Jesus gave you, which is to bring people out of slavery into the kingdom through Jesus. That's his tactic. And so if we think big picture, like what is Jesus calling me to obey? Big picture in the Bible, he's calling you to love God with your whole self, above all. And he's also calling you to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples, to teach them to do everything Jesus did. That's the big picture. But then it gets more nuanced and more subjective as you begin to follow those big picture things. God will give you specific things. I'm calling you to do this. I want you to pursue this. It's all about obedience. And just so you guys know, the mission of this church is to make disciples of Jesus. Like, that's what we're about here. So let's reverse engineer again. Turn your brains on for a second. How have you been obeying when it comes to that? When it comes to making disciples who do what Jesus did? How have you been doing with that? Who are you discipling right now? How is the quality of your love and the depth of your relationship with God? If you're not doing a great job or as good as you think you should be doing in those areas, the question is why? Like, really think about this for yourself. Why are you not obeying as you should? What are the things that are keeping you from doing the thing that God is calling you to do? When you identify those things, the next question is, what is keeping you from giving up those things? If it's keeping you from obeying, what's keeping you from giving it up? The answer is going to be a fear. That's how the Lord identified my fears. You just go through that process. You sit down with the Lord. You open your heart up to him and you say, Lord, why am I not obeying you? What is the thing that's keeping me? What am I afraid of? That's what it is. At the very bottom is the fear that something bad is going to happen if I obey Jesus. Something uncomfortable, something costly, something painful is going to happen if I obey. That's a fear that hampers your obedience. Guys, we have to identify those fears. Like, I know from experience, it's really easy to go through life and not think about it. But those are the things that the Lord wants to work out. Right? Those are the things the Lord wants to transform and set you free from. Here's the thing with fear, though, and you guys know this too. Fear is such a powerful emotion, we cannot just wish it away. You guys believe that? Do you agree with me? We can't just snap our fingers and fear is gone. So how do we get rid of it? How do we live without fear in freedom and obedience to Jesus? This seems like a left turn, but stay on track with me. 
Adoption is a beautiful, beautiful thing. There are many families in this church right now and in years past that have had the blessing of adoption and are still receiving the blessings of it. Adoption takes a child and parents who did not belong together and it joins them together in fellowship and joy of a family bond. But there's an aspect of adoption in the Roman culture that Paul was writing into that we often don't really think about in our context. In that culture, in Paul's day, adoption was commonly used as a way for a wealthy or influential person to leave their family inheritance and their family name to continue. The process of adoption in Paul's day would allow an individual to select someone that they could trust to adopt as their son where they had no son before to carry that family name and to carry and steward the family inheritance. Adoption as a son in that way gave an individual authority in their father's name and it gave them an inheritance in their father's fortune. This is what I'm getting at. The answer to our fear is Romans 8.14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery, but you received the spirit of what? Adoption as sons and daughters. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. Did you catch that? The opposite of slavery isn't freedom, it's sonship. Slavery breeds fear, and sonship breeds freedom. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're a son or a daughter of God the Most High. Just grab onto that truth. You're a son or daughter of God the Most High. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is given by Jesus to, them, to those whom he has adopted as children. Check this out in John uh, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, To all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And Galatians 3.26 says, In Christ you are sons of God through faith. But then Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are sons, because you've been adopted in Christ, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. Because we've come to Jesus to be rescued from slavery, he has rescued us. And he's declared that you are his child. You then receive the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. What does that mean, like the spirit of adoption? It just sounds kind of weird. Like, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Why does he say spirit of adoption? Listen to what Ephesians 1.14 says. The Holy Spirit, who Jesus gives to you to, to show that you're adopted, the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has, that he has purchased us to be his own people. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says that he's identified us as his own by placing the Spirit in our hearts 
as the down payment that guarantees everything he's promised to us. The spirit of adoption is God's legal declaration from the courtroom of heaven, his guarantee, his irrevocable order that you are his child. Your adoption has been finalized and now you bear the name of Jesus and you are entitled to his inheritance. Verse 17 says, if you're children, then you're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So let's get back to the fear piece for a minute. We're adopted as children and it's that sonship that produces freedom. We have the biblical framework for it, but when the rubber meets the road, I have the Spirit of God, and I still battle fear. What do we do with that? How does fear go away? Look again at verse 14. It says that the children of God are led by the Spirit. They're led by the Spirit. They have the spirit of of adoption, and they're led by him. That is the key to walking in freedom from fear. Being led by the spirit of God as children of God. The Holy Spirit is not just a piece of paper issued by a court that says once and for all you belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the glory of God dwelling in you. But to be honest, so many people think that when they become a Christian, they receive a paper that says they're free to do whatever they please. The spirit of adoption is a person dwelling in you, and he's guaranteeing your inheritance in Christ as children of God by actively leading you. Perfect love casts out fear. God's perfect love has been poured into you by the Holy Spirit. And he's leading you specifically to what? Specifically, the Holy Spirit is leading you by awakening you to the perfect love of the Father and the reality of your sonship. The Spirit dwelling in you is perfectly loving, and you are not. Neither is your understanding of God's love for you. We've been conditioned by slavery to see God as our judge, to see God as our enemy. We have not been conditioned from our former life to see him as our father. And so that is what the spirit of adoption does in us. He's turning the hearts of former slaves to children towards their father. He is actually producing in us the love of God for the father. He begins to cultivate a relationship, a father and a child. Check out the last little phrase in verse 15. By the spirit of adoption, by the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself is bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. The spirit is leading us into a loving and intimate relationship with our father. 
He's leading us to a place where we can say, Abba, Father. How many of you know about that word, Abba? It's an old Aramaic term for Father that would have been used by people in Jesus' time. And it was used as a symbol of familiarity and closeness and endearment. It was a term for loving children to call their father. So grasp this. The Holy Spirit takes former slaves full of fear, and he turns our hearts toward the father, drawing us into a loving relationship where we can say, that's my Abba father. He's not my judge anymore. He's my father. The first time we read this phrase, Abba, Father, in the Bible is Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Jesus had just left the upper room. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays in agony, knowing the suffering that he was about to face. And he cries out, Abba, Father. Daddy, help me. He says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. But let your will be done, not mine. The Father sent the Son to obey, even unto death upon a cross, to atone for our sins, so that we might become children of God. And here Jesus weeps in agony in the garden, knowing of that suffering, crying out, Abba, Father. Daddy, help me. But there was no fear in that moment. There was no fear in that moment because Jesus was in perfect love with his Father, in perfect unity, in perfect fellowship. There was no fear. Jesus was filled with perfect love, and he responded to the threat of pain and suffering by obeying the Father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. He stepped out in obedience with the joy set before him of pleasing his father in obedience and receiving an inheritance of brothers and sisters. That was the joy set before him that compelled him to obey. There was no fear. This is what the spirit of adoption is leading you into. He is constantly bearing witness in your hearts of your sonship to the father. But here's the thing. Fear screams in your face, and the Holy Spirit whispers in your heart. The only way to hear his voice is to run to him and incline your ear to listen. My wife and I talk a lot in the car with our children yelling in the back seat. There's no intimacy in those moments. We talk a lot at the dinner table, trying to get our kids to just eat their food and all the reasons why they don't want to. There's no intimacy in those moments. In order for a husband and a wife to have intimacy, there needs to be intention and purpose and time set aside. We can talk about all the business in the world and not know a thing about what's happening in the heart. The spirit of adoption is leading you into an intimate relationship with the, with the Father where your heart is open before him and you are listening to what he's calling you to. 
It's only by that intimacy with God that when threats come, where you're faced with suffering, when fear is screaming in your face, that you can just obey daddy. It's that simple. Just obey your daddy. But you need to know him. You need to know him. The reality is when we trust God and we obey, we actually will suffer. That part of the enemy's attack is true. We will suffer when we obey Jesus. That's like a prerequisite for being a Christian. You will suffer. Look at verse 17. It's snuck in there at the end. We're heirs of God, provided that you suffer with him. The path to glory goes through suffering, and it's non-negotiable. The fact is, obedience is going to cost you. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. You're going to have to give up things in the flesh that you love. Do you hear that? It's going to cost you. Jesus said the cost of a true disciple is everything, right? Getting rid of old habits that you run to for pleasure and escape, when you leave that, you're going to feel the loss. Stepping out in boldness to proclaim the gospel to a coworker is going to stir up fear. But if you obey, it very well could cost you. It could cost you a friendship. It could cost you your job. When you obey Jesus, when you make sacrifices for the kingdom of God, the world is going to meet it with opposition. We've got to be ready for that. But here's the thing. True sons and daughters walk in freedom in the authority of their father because the Spirit is leading them into the joy of fellowship with God, even through suffering. It's that, that true freedom is found when we are walking as his sons and daughters and not just former slaves. Picture that when the government in the United States said... There can no longer be slavery. Were all of those people just treated well right away? They were former slaves, but they weren't treated like sons and daughters. True freedom is found when we walk in our identity as true sons and daughters and not just former slaves. The prison cell is open. You guys believe that? The prison cell is open. Don't sit in the cell. Don't stand outside. Don't lean on the door. Run in the path of righteousness. Run in the path of freedom. You are sons and daughters of God, and you've, give, you've been given by the Spirit the full power and authority of Jesus. That's what he's given to you in the Spirit. And he's been calling you to be a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador for his name. And he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. It's going to be scary, but you don't need to fear. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, Dan's Braveheart freedom yell has been resonating in my heart. The whole time I've been preparing for this, I just hear Dan in my ear yelling, freedom! And some of you think it's silly or weird or stupid, whatever, but honestly, it's giving me resolve in my freedom as a son of God. 
And this is what William Wallace says in that speech in the movie Braveheart. He says, you've got to fight as free men because free men you are. So what will you do with that freedom? In closing, I want to quote Peter. Because Peter's a guy who knew fear. Peter's a guy who knew Jesus. And he didn't obey Jesus because of fear. Right? Peter knows this better than all of us. And here's what he says. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of God. Freedom is what we're after, guys. Dan and I, again, to use the word, are jealous for your freedom. Remember, all of us are battling fear. All of us have to face this, and we're jealous for your freedom. We are jealous for your growth and maturity as you're perfected in the love of God. That's what it means to grow as a Christian, right? And we're jealous for that for you guys. We long for that. We pray for that. We fast for that for you. We want to see everyone in here, in this church family, walking in freedom and power and authority as children of God and not hampered by the flesh and fear, not compromising, not limping along, not hanging off the tree like a dead branch with no fruit. Our job is to love you and serve you by calling you into greater obedience and love for your Father because you're no longer a slave to fear. You're a child of God. Dan, if you want to come on up, go ahead. You're no longer a slave to fear, but the Holy Spirit is the only one who can produce and transform in you, right? I don't drive fear out of you. Dan doesn't drive fear out of you. Nobody else can drive fear out of you but the Holy Spirit. He's there within you, beckoning you to follow him into intimacy. He's calling you into that place of saying, that's my daddy. I'm not scared of him, that's my dad. He's calling you to walk in your identity as children of God and to shed the old self, to shed the slavery, to shed the fear, and to run into the arms of your Father. And I just have such a resounding picture of this every day when I come home and my little son runs to me with his arms open. That's what he's calling you to. When we hide in fear... We're not giving sway to the Holy Spirit to transform us into perfect love. The fact is, he's not just concerned about your freedom. He's concerned about the freedom of all those others who are enslaved. And he's calling you, who have freedom in Christ, to be an ambassador to them. So I'm going to ask you the same question that Jesus asked me 11 years ago that I already said. Do you really believe this, and what are you going to do about it? Let's bow our heads as we close.
I could just ask, keep your eyes closed just so we have some level of comfort. Um, is there anybody in here that would, that would say, I know my fears all too well. They're strong in my face, screaming at me every day. You know what the fear is, and you want to receive prayer for that fear. If that's you, can you just raise your hand? Is it too much that I ask you to come forward and receive prayer? Would you guys do that? Would you guys come? Millie, can I ask you to pray for me, with me? Jody, can I ask you to pray as well? Why don't you come on? Come on, guys. If you raise your hand, let's, we're going to pray for you right now. And the rest of you, I want you interceding for them. This is how we deal with fear in the body of Christ. We bring it before his feet, right? We minister to one another in prayer by the Holy Spirit, using his word to bring truth where there have been lies, to bring us out of fear into fellowship. place for fear the Lord wants you to come to him and ask Lord what are we going to do together what are you calling me to and as he calls you into something just like Jesus in the garden you bow before him and you say daddy it's not my will but yours I'm going to step out in faith it's that step out into faith that shatters the fear. Lord, I pray even for those like me who have a hard time identifying their fears. Lord, that's my burden. You know my heart is that I want my brothers and my sisters to have those things identified and brought to the surface that they may have freedom. And so, Lord, whether it's now or whether it's later today, whether it's tonight when they lay down to sleep, Spirit of God, I pray that you would reveal these things. Lord, reveal these things and take them from us. Take our fears. Rescue us. We cannot just snap our fingers and the fear goes away. Lord, we need you transforming us into perfect love. You'll feel so used to life in the cell. 
you'll, fi- you'll feel so used to fear in the cell. Some of you are looking in the cell for ways to live the life of freedom. You're trying to find freedom in the fear. You're trying to find freedom in the captivity. You're trying to find higher knowledge in the corner of the cell room. You're trying to find liberty, you know, underneath the cot somewhere. Maybe it's here, maybe it's there, and it's just, it's just cell walls, it's just coldness. It never will result. You're going to continue to be searching, 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 searching for higher freedom, higher knowledge, and never find it in the cell. You must walk out of the cell and find truth in Jesus, freedom in Jesus. Jesus is your freedom. He wants to take you from the prison cot to that king-size bed. It's a new thing, but it's a better thing. Don't stay in the cell. Fear will attempt to find reasons for it to belong. It'll seek to justify itself, its existence in your heart and your life. That's why you've gotten so used to fear. You've gotten way too used to it. And you'll even have logical reasons for why it needs to be there. That's the enemy, by the way. Just keeping you in the cell. Some of you are battling right now. Like the spirit's moving on you and you're just like, no, 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 no. He can't have that. He can't have this. I don't know what's going on, but no, 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 no. You have to say yes. You have to say yes to walk out of the cell, to know the freedom. You have to say yes. You have to agree with God. Stop searching for greater knowledge in the cell. Lord, right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and bring to mind the fears. I pray that you would do the work of unearthing all the ways in which we've lived our lives just in that prison cot. It's all fit to my life. It's all fit to my routine. It's all what I know, and I'm safe there. I feel safe there. I feel safe there. Lord, would you begin to shine your light on the reality of those, those, that false confidence It's a normalcy that has come about because fear has brought it about. And now it's to expose the fear in the ways that you've tried to cope with fear. Jesus doesn't want it for you. That's not what it means to be a son. He has far more good things for you as a son and daughter. as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. Oh, man.
some of you are sitting there and you're like, man, are our pastors mad at us? <laughs> we're not mad at you. Oh, my. You have to know that we're not only speaking to you, but we're speaking to your inner man. And we speak strong things, even burdened within our own heart and soul, because we want to see a power play happen in your heart. We are speaking to your inner man. Arise forth. Come to Christ. No longer should you sit in the prison cell. You need to come forth to the one who bids you to come, to have freedom, freedom that's yours. Come to Jesus. Oh, your, your, your pastors are quite happy. <laughs> but we will speak to your inner man. We will speak to him to come forth, come forth. Find freedom in Jesus. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears with
Lord actually calls us to wait on him. Not to be so quick to just move and move and move. He calls us to wait. In light of even what James talked about, part of our obedience and love to God is waiting on him. You can't love someone without just saying, all right, you got the right of way right here. We'll wait on you. Just want to make sure we're keeping in step with the Lord. Thank you for your kindness to meet with us. Lord, I, I, I trust that 
as we began this time, you're a father who's not calling us right now to be just merely persevering saints. I believe that you're eager to reward us. You're eager to just give what we come to you with, asking, saying, Lord, this is broken in me. Can you fix it? <laughs> um, there's peacelessness. Can you come fix it? There's fear. Can you come fix it? Your heart is far more abundant and eager to supply our need right now. You're not calling us to perseverance. You're calling us to yourself, and you're calling us to all the many good gifts that the Father of lights would give to his children. Lord, the greatest gift that you can give to us is yourself. So, Lord, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray, O oh Lord, um, that even this week you would show us you would show us where fear continues to legitimize itself in our life. Where it tends to have argument upon argument to the point where we would say face to face with someone, I'm not fearful. But we've built up such logic and such legitimization to have that fear there that we, we've convinced ourselves, I'm not fearful. <laughs> and yet we don't know freedom. And in fact, we become like the Pharisees of John 15 who come at Jesus trying to trip him up, saying, you're calling us into obedience and love. We already got all that. We got all that by what we do. We've done the legalistic walk. Why are you calling us to anything more? Jesus would turn to his disciples and say, I've called you friends, called you friends. There's something that the religious do not have. They're not my friends, but they try to confuse my friendship with others. Lord, we know that there is deep seated, like deep caverns in our hearts where fear has kind of made its way and it's become so normal to us that we can say we don't have fear. But you're our friend. And as a friend, you come and you expose even the things that we have hidden for so long. Ways in which we've lived. And you say, that's not freedom. And so, Lord, I pray that this is just the beginning of your kind journey with us. Sometimes you show up and, man, you, you overwhelm us with your incredible power. And you set us free in a moment, in an instant. Other times you take us down that long journey because you, you want to teach us, just like your children in the wilderness, you want to teach us what really the long journey of faith looks like. So Lord, teach us, but continue to expose the things in our hearts that just aren't aligned with you, that are, that are cell living rather than palace living, um, that, that are bound to the old things rather than bound to the new things. So Lord, we lay ourselves at you and plead with you. <laughs> Continue to work in our midst as the good Abba that you are. We'll praise you. We'll praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace. If any, if any others need a prayer, don't hesitate. And if there's stuff resounding from today in your hearts, don't let it sit. Don't let it sit. Jesus is calling us to freedom. Braveheart freedom.